On the show today, award-winning author and performance advisor Todd Herman. He's here to talk about the work he does coaching some of the world's most elite in their craft. As well, he'll share the main ideas and themes from his best-selling book, The Alter Ego Effect, The Power of Secret Identities to Transform Your Life. I'm really looking forward to sharing this episode with you today. I have an amazing guest on the show that you're going to hear more about. But before we begin, I really do want you to think about moments in your life when you have performed at your best. Maybe it was on the sports field or the tennis court or the golf course. Maybe it was on stage giving the talk of your life or performing music in front of hundreds or even thousands of people. Maybe it was giving one of the best sales pitches that you've ever given or leading your team through a particularly difficult or challenging time. Whatever your moments of greatness were, can you recall exactly what was happening and why it was happening so well for you? And when you reflect back, what level of confidence did you have? And where did that confidence come from? Was that level of confidence always there for you? And could you turn it on at will? Or was it just a fleeting moment in your life when you had experienced such a high in regards to performing so well. Conversely, what moments can you recall that you were not at your best? Or when your performance on the field, or in the boardroom, on the stage, or in any other endeavor were far from what you were actually capable of delivering? I really want you to keep your successes and your failures in mind as you listen to my guest today, best-selling author and performance coach for some of the very best in the world. His name is Todd Herman, and he has devoted his life to helping people to unlock the very best version of themselves possible to maximize their impact with more consistency. According to world-renowned life and business strategist and best-selling author Tony Robbins, Todd Herman's ideas will transform your life. And the late, great Kobe Bryant, may he rest in peace, described Todd's work by saying, this guy gets it, and his book is What I Did to Dominate on the Court. Muhammad Ali's daughter, Layla Ali, a world-class boxer herself and well-known health food chef, states that Todd truly knows the secrets to winning. And world-renowned brain coach and learning expert Jim Quick says that Todd's a game-changing expert and strategist who works with some of the most elite individuals in corporate America in boardrooms and also with athletes in the field. So some amazing people there sharing what they know about Todd and the impact that he has had on the world. In today's conversation, Todd and I will explore the major themes from his best-selling book, The Alter Ego Effect, The Power of Secret Identities to Transform Your Life, and how these themes can be applied in your own life to help you to be your best, both personally and professionally. Todd's work is all about helping people to be intentional and purposeful in creating the conditions needed to tackle challenge, hardship, and adversity in a way that allows them to really be impactful and to show up and do their best work with consistency day in and day out. In his own words, Todd firmly believes that The core self is where possibility exists. It's this deep inner core where our creative force resides, waiting to be activated by the power of intention. 
Todd's international bestseller has been translated into 11 languages, and he has built courses, training programs, software, and businesses that have transformed the lives of over 2 million people around the world. And although he speaks on countless stages around the globe and works with large organizations, businesses, and sports teams, what he loves the most is the one-to-one work he does with his clients, and to date, he has logged more than 19,000 hours working up close and personal on a one-to-one basis with top people in sport, business, and entertainment. He deeply believes that being a practitioner who is grounded in the trenches is the only way to have the impact that we desire. It's one thing to talk about the work, but actually doing the hard work is what matters most. And in our episode today, I really like the metaphor that he used, which is the metaphor of chopping the wood and carrying the water to illustrate the point of doing the hard internal work needed to be our best. Growing up as a farm boy on a huge ranch in Alberta, Canada, Todd learned about hard work from an early age. And it was through these life lessons that he was able to achieve a lot of success in his own sporting pursuits on the football field, the volleyball court, and the badminton court. But he also learned to dream big and to live courageously bold in order to not only overcome early trauma in his life, but to go on to deeply impact the world through his work. And as I listened to Todd and we had our conversation, you know, we were connected in the sense that both Todd and I played uh, college football in Canada. We come from small rural towns. And as I heard Todd share his story in particular making himself very vulnerable in the beginning of our episode to share a traumatic experience that he went through that he feels really shaped his identity and who he is and who he has become. Todd did a lot of internal work to overcome the trauma and better understand it. But as I really listened to his story, I could feel that he was so connected and aligned with what he believed was most important. And that's what I really appreciated about this conversation with Todd today. And he honestly believes that within each of us is a heroic self. And when we get our mindset right, anything is possible. I hope you enjoy this conversation today and that you get your hands on a copy of his book, The Alter Ego Effect. The Power of Secret Identities to Transform Your Life. I have my own hard copy of the book as well, uh, a version of the book on Audible that I listened to. uh, A few times I've actually listened to it. You can also check out Todd's work at his website, which is toddherman.me. So that's T-O-D-D-H-E-R-M-A-N dot M-E, toddherman.me. And you can also find many videos of his work on his YouTube channel. So a very warm thank you for listening to this episode with Todd. The world right now with everything that's happening in Russia and the Ukraine, um, it's pretty dismal at times. But when you come across somebody like Todd who cares so deeply about what he does, uh, a person who has so much empathy and compassion for others, You cannot help but just feel better inside when you come across people like Todd. So I hope that you share this episode with anyone who you feel may benefit from listening to it. And with that, let's jump into today's conversation with Todd introducing himself and describing early days in his life. Yeah. Yeah, So, okay. So let's jump into it. And and just to set the context for the interview today, can you tell the audience who you are and what you're most known for? Yeah, so I Todd Herman. I am a uh, farm kid from Alberta, Canada, that ended up getting the chance to uh, live and work uh, around the world, ending up in uh, New York City, um, where I've been for the last fourteen years. Now, actually, splitting my time a little bit in uh, in British Columbia. But what I'm most known for is being the alter ego guy. Um, 
I ended up finding through starting my company in 1997, working with young athletes uh, on the mental game that after about five, six years, and then getting to work with the more elite athletes, Olympians and pro athletes and, you know, 82 different sports that there was this common thread of the ability to transform their performance identity. They, they mm-hmm. attached to, you know, I, we call it an alter ego back then I called it character crafting actually. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that became the thing that I became known for and getting a chance to, uh, work and, um, talk and develop people like Kobe Bryant and Raphael Nadal and, um, a bunch of others. So that's, uh, that's the yellow book that's behind me if this is on video, but, uh, the alter ego effect is what I am definitely known for. Yeah, I got a copy in my hand right now, um, and and I want to go back to you know just kind of a, a quick flyover of early days. And you've got such an amazing story. And I told you before recording how I connect so deeply with your story because I'm from rural Ontario. I yeah. played football. I was a quarterback and a punter. I never asked you what position you were. I I I, I thought maybe a, a DB or receiver safety. inside DB. Yeah, okay, safety. That's what I thought. Yeah, DB. I yeah. Thought. So you've got such an amazing story that exemplifies what it means to build self-belief and building self-belief is a buildable skill mm-hmm. when we apply strategies and and we put frameworks into action but i want to begin with the young todd in the small rural farming community in alberta and you've gone on to do such amazing work with you know the world's elite performers in sport and other fields but when you think about early days, Todd, can you share more about your story and what it was that compelled you to do the work that you do, as well yeah. as what were some of those early strengths that you feel that you were able to develop within yourself that went on to serve you so well in the work that you do now? Yeah, so uh, great questions. My my early days, I had two older brothers um, that were, uh, Ross was five and a half and Ryan was two and a half years older than me. And, uh, when we weren't, you know, doing some good hard labor on the farm and ranch with, uh, with dad and mom, uh, we would be typically playing sport. There was, you know, luckily back then there were no iPads and iPhones and there's no technology. We had, uh, one channel that we got with really good signal. And then we had a second channel that every now and then we would, would come out of the, the fuzziness of those old school TVs and we could, we could catch that other television. So we didn't really watch much television back then. So we were always outside playing around. Um, and because of the fact that I had two older brothers, but I always had a very competitive spirit. I was always, always highly competitive, kind of got me in a little bit of trouble when I was in my early days. Cause I was, you know, people kind of branded me as maybe a bit of a poor loser. Um, and I think they actually got it wrong. It was just that I was so competitive. I wasn't a poor loser. I just wanted to win. Mm-hmm. And, and then when I got to working with the elite of the elite, very common thing where it's not that they're poor losers. They just want to win. Um, Kobe was a, a great example of that, but, uh, I just competed against my brothers and I didn't know any difference. So it, 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 at a young age, I really started to develop my own, I guess, mental toughness skill set because I never gave my size because I was much smaller. I never had, I never hit a growth spurt until, uh, I was 14. I was always very small, but I, I never heard it from anyone. My parents never let me or never said, oh, it's because you're small that you, um, might not be able to win against your brothers. So I developed that really, really important skill at a young age. My parents also forced me to play with my older brother, Ryan. So I was playing on a U10 team, but I was seven and a half. And because I'm highly competitive, I was like, well, I'm going to get the starting position. And I would. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that really helped me as well. I wasn't playing against a lot of kids at my own age. Um, I was playing against a lot of older kids. Hockey. Um, well, baseball, hockey, wasn't really our sport okay. that much, um, so baseball, yeah. baseball, um, ended up becoming like volleyball. It's kind of like the, what, what's the, whatever sport you play in your small rural school. That's kind mm-hmm. of what we did yeah, yeah. a lot of baseball. It was a lot of, uh, volleyball badminton. I became a nationally ranked badminton player as well. Um, and then ultimately then it was, it was football, but going back to your question, if there was one thing that really shaped my real, my interest in mastering my inner game was because I was, um, unfortunately in a really, um, terrible situation when I was in, uh, when I was 12 years old, I was at a, a church camp. And over the course of a couple of days, I was, um, uh, raped and abused by two men. 
Um, and coming from a world that I was growing up in where I had two phenomenal parents and amazing family and surrounding, like all those, that type of environment was not what I was used to. I didn't have family that was like that. We, we, we just did have all my aunts and uncles, were amazing people too. So that shattered me on the inside. Um, I never told anyone about it, held it secret until literally just about uh, five years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I say that that shaped my inner game because uh, immediately I felt cut off from my family because I was now different. I was, you know, and just the stuff that those men would say to me and had said to me, it really shattered kind of my own sense of self-belief and my own sense of self-confidence. Um, and you know, I tried to take my life at the age of 12, um, tried to drown myself in a pool afterward. Cause I didn't, I was so ashamed from the experience and then, um, well that didn't work obviously and battled suicide attempts until into my twenties even, but I still had this, a desire to want to be something, to go and do something, um, and who knows where we get that from? I don't know that. And I've been working on this stuff for, you know, 25 years. Uh, you know, the, the things that cause some people to want to go and really and achieve something that's great. Um, where that comes from is still a mystery, I, I believe. But I wanted to get over some of these demons. And I read many things, even though I was dyslexic, uh, I tried to consume as much as I could. And, and it was my ability ultimately in that yellow book behind me, the alter ego effect that, that I started employing an alter ego on the football field. So, um, so yeah, so, so the sporting field was really my refuge. And, um, but because I was battling being a smaller guy, um, and I wanted, I still had that ambition to want to be great at what I do. I built out these, you know, this alter ego to go out and compete on that, on that field. So that was where it all came from, not to, you know, make a, a simple question really long, but that is where, you know, it's, I always find it interesting. Like where did some of the puppet strings come from that caused some people to pursue what they went and pursued. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's where I've dedicated my career is, is, is helping people try to master that inner game. Which is um, profound in itself, you know, and, and I, you know, the, the fact that you have done the deep internal work to deal with the abuse is so commendable. And in sharing your story, you give permission to other people to do the same. And, yeah. You know, you, you know, just, just to leap off of that, it's yeah. been, it's been interesting because um, I never did that before. I mean, I never talked about my past. This is only a recent thing in the last three or four years where I've uh, been, um, vocal about it. And it doesn't bother me. I've done the work, so it's not triggering to me or anything right. like that. Whereas I, I hadn't done the work. And so it was, I couldn't talk about it. Um, reality was I didn't share it with anybody. And so it has been rewarding, I guess, in some ways, although the social media response from people reaching out saying, you know, just seeing someone like you that might be in your position talking about this openly and that you've got zero shame around it. And I'm like, well, I didn't ask for it, right? Like it didn't, mm-hmm. uh, there's no reason that that 12 year old Todd has to feel ashamed of something that he didn't ask for it. He didn't call for it, nothing. Mm-hmm. It was just an event that happened and that's what it was. And I don't need to let it rule my life because of that. Yeah. And that's, that's that work of, of trauma. My wife is currently training under Dr. Gabor Mate in, mm. in Canada, and she's been uh, working under him for the last three years. And what Gabor says is the attempt to escape pain is what creates more of it. Yeah. You know, and I, I believe great line, you know, great yeah, line. I've gone through so much trauma in my own life with, you know, my, my brother, um, dying of, uh, suicide due to major depression and another brother yeah. drug addiction and and football was my saving grace and and to this day i'm so eternally grateful for having found that purpose and meaning mm. and and it, that kept me on the path and although i had really difficult times and i struggled with anxiety and depression in my playing days that i didn't tell anybody about yeah i still had that brotherhood and i had that purpose that allowed me to move forward in very empowering ways yeah so what do you want to say to the listeners who are struggling who who may be suffering from anxiety and depression or going through their own battles 
and and how this idea of you know this idea of post traumatic growth that we can thrive despite the trauma and that's what yeah. you so eloquently described what what is your advice to them well um now on being on the other side but i actually understood it even when i was still going through and trying to process this stuff myself which was a bit of a mistake you know trying to you know you know if you have the capacity to kind of grit things out there comes a point where it's like anything in life water is both good and bad right mm-hmm. there's hyper and hypo there's um and so there is there's hyper self reliance where you take it too far and and i think in our world we end up using the word personal development self help you know things like that and it sort of creates an automatic frame of oh i do it myself and and my greatest periods of personal development were always because of being in a way better environment around um amazing mentors or experts but to the question i would say um that the term that i've coined it is um capabilities spelled c a p e dash abilities um i even trademarked it cuz it's going to be one of my upcoming books on this is there are things that happen to us that like like my event your events that once you get the perspective of no in that moment i received a cape there was something that i got cuz there has to be that you can't have bad without some good in that moment as well and then it's understanding well what is that superpower what is that thing that i got and so mine is um a very very deep level of compassion and empathy and understanding that there are some things that someone's doing right now that are driving their results or driving their outcomes in life that could be coming from a very dark place and i think it's my responsibility to be compassionate even when someone might be throwing you know shade my way or whatever um and and also as a coach i think what you just talked about is is um such an important thing for coaches to understand that those young kids that are with you they're going through stuff and so you're if you're if you're a very one dimensional coach with those young people it's unfortunate because you acting like the bobby knight type coach you're only promoting more anxiety and struggle and depression in young kids mm-hmm. um that is not a very good model to be putting up onto a wall and saying i want to be a coach like that and people go oh but look at bobby knight's results his results were actually quite terrible based on the types of teams that he had he should have won way more like it's an indictment of his coaching style. So to those people who are struggling with it is the I just it's two words. Keep going. Yeah. Like keep looking, keep finding. I found mine. Uh what ultimately allowed me to get out of it was actually plant-based medicine therapy. I was involved in the largest study on the on the effects of MDMA on PTSD and trauma at Bellevue Hospital in New York City. Yeah. Um and that was with in const in uh in cooperation with the maps institute which is you know this institute that has been uh pushing for um psychedelics and other um uh, plant-based drugs to be used more and try to get them legalized again because they were legalized at one point so just finding things um and and don't stop it because on the other side is it's extraordinarily rewarding yeah and we we touched upon that uh before we recorded when when fate and you and i came from a time you know the 90s right yeah yeah you and i came from a time where there there were harsh coaches that um could really hold players back and you know we talked about that idea that if you are a player who has this amazing potential and i explained my as a quarterback i mean i had a great arm i could scramble doug flutie was my role model yeah. Yeah. so talk about alter egos when i stepped on the field i thought i was doug you yeah. know even though we had a a pocket protection offense you know like stay in the pocket I'm 510 what am I going to do I'm yeah. scrambling I'm I'm bolting for the sidelines and going to make totally. stuff happen but um but it's that idea that when you don't have the the supportive coach in the ways that you need them in order to thrive what can an athlete do to bypass that supersede that yeah. and and still thrive and flourish yeah um and and so the way that i always reframed it cuz this was uh one of the top 3 major uh contributors to 
you know, someone's overall mental uh, wellness as an, as an athlete. And I always try to reframe it quickly for them of great. This is a phenomenal opportunity for you mm-hmm. um, because it has to be, there has to be an opportunity in it. In in that uh, not every, not every athlete gets the opportunity to have a coach that might be toxic in some ways. And so now this is going to be where you're going to have some phenomenal personal growth. If you don't engage with it emotionally, if you don't make it personal, it could be personal, but if you don't make it personal, because the moment you make it personal, it's very easy to fall into the trap of victim mentality. Victim mentality is going to you know, rupture any sort of level of self-confidence and belief that you have in your capacity to go and do something. But this is a way for you to learn interpersonal skills. So how could I try and turn that coach around to my side? I'll give you one of the statements that we would say. Um, uh, I'll, I'll take you to this kid, Ryan. He was a defenseman. Uh, very good. He was one of the top ranked defensemen in, uh, in his entire region uh, on the path to go, going into the NHL. And he had one of these coaches who was being not only like he would put him down. He would call him names in the locker room and all this. Why? Because the coach's son was also on the team and he wasn't very good. And um, he was starting to penalize Ryan. He was a defenseman taking him off of say like things like the power play or the penalty kill and, and things like that. And so, um, and he's, Ryan is such a good kid. So I said, okay, after practice tomorrow, what I want you to do is I want you to go up to the coach and I want you to say, Hey coach, do you have a minute for us to talk? And, and the coach is going to turn and say, yeah, what's up? And you say, listen, I just want to let you know, I really appreciate how you're coaching me, like how you're trying to be really hard on me. Because for me, it's, it's just, it's a sign that you must really believe in my abilities as a hockey player. And I haven't had many coaches like that before. And Ryan's like, but that's not, (laughs) that's not what he's, and I'm like, I know that. But this is a it's reverse psychology, and I was kind of running through all that, and transformed that coach into being one of his biggest supporters, biggest cheerleaders, all that kind of stuff. So, and it and it taught Ryan that there are ways out, like there are methods that I could employ. Um, now we've used that with other players, and it didn't work out. Like it, the, mm-hmm. the coach, you know, um, uh, it didn't change his attitude towards the player, but it did change some aspects in that it gave the kid a voice. He felt like, well, at least it was a tactic. It was a strategy that I can employ. So that's just one thing to reframe it is like, there's, there's, there is something that can be done to turn that bad coach or or whatever bad situation around. Yeah. And having the courage to do so and to be equipped with the skills to do so and have mentors that will show you the way. And you know, I have Michael Gervais quote up on the wall here. I've got lots of quotes on the wall, including some of yours. And what Michael says is we are our greatest and worst coach. It's mm-hmm. a fact. We all have that little voice in our head. The better you can become aware of that voice, the more readily you can adjust and guide and work with that voice to bring you closer to being your very best self. Mm-hmm. And how you describe that is is really important because you know this is a great segue into the book. And I really want to take this opportunity with you. I think every educator, I come from the world of education, and I think every educator needs to get their hands on this book, whether you're a classroom teacher, a PE teacher, a music teacher, everything in here, in, in your book offers so, so much that teachers can apply and principals can apply in schools. Yeah. Uh, the book itself has 16 chapters with chapter one being what's your phone booth moment to chapter 16, mindset, missions, quests, and adventures. Yeah, I have a summary here but I'd rather you just summarize the the big ideas and themes that you hope the the readers, yeah. sorry, the, the listeners and the readers can really grasp onto. So in a yeah. nutshell, what how do you summarize the alter ego effect? Well, so the alter ego itself um, was first coined by Cicero, the f- famous Roman statesman and philosophers back in 44 BC. In a letter to a friend, when a friend had asked him, you know, someone who's so successful, arguably one of the greatest statesmen and philosophers in Roman history, what have been some of your secrets to success? And uh, Cicero coined the alter ego back then and said, it's the other I or trusted friend within. Mm -hmm. 
So we just got done talking about before about how important it is to surround yourself with great coaches or great mentors or great peers or great just people, right? And some people that might be young might not have that choice right now, but you want to try to pursue that as quickly as possible because your environment and your social environment is going to dramatically affect your uh, ability to succeed in life. It's there's just no, it's undeniable. But we we forget that through the power of our creative imagination, we do also have between the six inches of our ears, the ability to bring peers and mentors within there. And so the alter ego as a concept is this fantastic model to help us create an image in our mind of what we would like to be moving towards. It's that idealized self. And now, okay, so some people might've heard this before, And what breaks in this is that a lot of people, some people just don't have um, the ability to see themselves be successful for whatever reason. I struggled with that, you know, because of whatever issues or traumas or, you know, things that I had going on. But it's very easy for us as human beings to see other people be successful. It's very easy for us to go, oh, well, you know, Andy can do it because of X, Y, and Z. He's got such a great beard. Um, or whatever the thing is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and so if that's the case, let's leverage it. So one of the kind of keys in our, in, in my peak performance company that, you know, we scaled up and, you know, we grew to be the largest in the world working with the Danish Olympic team and, uh, the South African Springboks and the German soccer federation and more and more and more was our stuff was always grounded in reality. Like it, it, it was not Pollyanna pulled from self-help books regurgitated over time that were not written by practitioners. I, I like being around people who do the work, not talk about the work. Like in my world, in order for you to qualify as someone who is an expert, you can't be a researcher. You got to be someone who lives it and is on the field every single day. Because if you're not, you're removed from the action, you're removed from reality. And so because the fact that we as human beings will look at someone else and say, well, I can see them do it. I'm like, okay, let's leverage that. That's the alter ego. That's the using the image of someone and something else to create an idealized version of what we want to move towards. So that's, so that's kind of the, around the idea of the alter ego itself. Now the effect was goes to the sub headline on that book, the power of secret identities to transform your life, because that is the effect. Um, I just thought that people, like I was using the alter ego just so I could get into this, you know, idealized version of my football self out there. But what it did was it leveled up so many other capabilities and companies. I saw myself as something different. My level of self-confidence on the football field was very different than off the field, very insecure kid, but I was never insecure on the football field. Um, the effect of that for me was that I always played in the flow state. I always played in it. Like it wasn't one game, maybe, right. It was, and it was because of now that I really understand the science behind this, it was because I was using the golden key. The final golden key that unlocks the zone and flow state for people is an attitude of playfulness. That Mm -hmm. is the ultimate key. Um, Now, why is that? Well, kids from six months uh, of age to seven years of age are caught in the creative imagination or brainwave state of theta. Theta is our most creative uh, brainwave state. Why do we actually need to be in that state because of the necessity of our own development? At that age, we need to learn so much about how to get along in life, develop new skills that the brain keeps us in theta brainwave state so that we can absorb and become just a mesh or a sponge from the world around us. So that effect for me was I got to play in the flow state. And then when I saw what other people were doing, when I got working with athletes and then developing this method, the effect was, man, it was transforming people's lives. Um, but to, to summarize this in just one key quote actually comes from Cary Grant, the Hollywood golden era actor, you know, debonair, suave, um, charismatic. And he said at the end of his career, when he was being interviewed about his success in Hollywood, He said, uh, I pretended to be somebody I wanted to be, and I finally became that person, or he became me, but at some point we met, which gets to Mm -hmm. the idea, and there's many principles that we could talk about, about what makes this work, gets the idea that at our very core, we are creators. Mm -hmm. Most of us are, are given our identity, 
we're shaped into an identity because of the parents that we have around us, where we grew up, the country that we're in, the religion that we're um, born or um, raised inside of. But that isn't you. That isn't you. You are something very, very different than that. There is a, a set of qualities and traits and abilities human beings have. And it's the ability to create oneself that is at the core of it. And the alter ego is just this great model and method to help take that idea and put it into action. So let me read a quote that I wrote down that that is a perfect dovetail off of this. And what you say in the book, and this is from the power of the alter ego effect, chapter three, is the idea of space and distance between our identities is something that researchers are starting to validate. Mm -hmm. Uh, A recent University of Minnesota study of four to six-year-olds found that that teaching kids perseverance, if parents are trying to teach kids perseverance, they really need to teach their children to pretend what it's like to be Batman or another favorite character because it creates psychological distance. That's right. So can you talk about that? That's a really important concept, the idea of space and distance between our identities. So just dive into that. And, yeah. and that kind of covers a, a very important chapter in your book. Yeah. So uh, another way of saying it is the ability for us to disassociate from our current identity and being able to leverage another identity. Um, so in that study, what, what happened at the University of Minnesota, they brought a bunch of uh, young kids uh, into a room and they had this uh, puzzle box set up with a bunch of locks on it. Okay. And what they were going to do with this study was test their overall level of uh, grit and perseverance. That's what they wanted to test. And uh, they handed the kids uh, sets of keys to unlock all these locks on this box. Problem was, was none of the locks would be unlocked by any of the keys. The keys didn't work. So they wanted to see how long they would stick it out. Um, So they recorded the data and tracked it. Then they brought in another group of kids. And this time they were also rolled in a rack of Batman and Dora the Explorer costumes and said, hey, pick your favorite you know, uh, hero and uh, put on the costume and uh, here are the keys, kind of get after it. And well, the kids that were wearing the costumes, um, some of them, they actually had to t- tell them to stop doing the activity. Yeah. Um, so the overall level of grit and perseverance in the kids went up. Well, why is that? It's because from an observer standpoint, that kid knows that there's people watching. And so if I'm doing it as Todd Herman, um, I might fall into this self-identity that I might have of, and and these kids would verbalize and they say things things like, oh, I'm not good at puzzles. I'm going to quit. This is too hard. I'm going to quit. Things like that. So what they didn't expect to do in this study was to actually capture their verbalized or vocalized self-talk, okay, mm-hmm. which was actually the big win, frankly. Um, the other kids who are wearing Batman and Dora the Explorer, they now have an avatar that they've stepped inside of. And there's actually some science as well that goes along with this. Um, and, and so they would start saying things like, Batman would never quit, so I'm not going to quit. Or Dora the Explorer always finds a way, so I'm going to find a way. What they were doing was something um, psychologically that we have as a phenomenon in our own minds called enclosed cognition. Enclosed cognition is that we as human beings, when we don the apparel or clothing or items of something that already has narrative and meaning in our worlds, we will actually enclose our mind in the cognitive traits and abilities of whatever we think that thing is representing. So when you put on Batman's costume, you're actually wearing it. You're not looking. It has to be something that you're wearing. It can't be in the room even. It has to be something that you've got on you to invoke this enclosed cognition idea. Um, You will start to live through the characteristics and traits of that article of clothing and what it means. Dora the Explorer always finds a way because that's what she's known for. She's an explorer. She always finds a way. Batman doesn't quit. He will always work it out in the end. So that's what these kids were doing and their vocalized self-talk was far different. So you disassociate from your own identity, create space for your own identity to now create space for a new identity. Um, And then through that space and time continuum thing, you actually develop then into that. You actually can see yourself because you're like, oh, wait a second. No, because we understand it. We like, 
I know I actually did it. I did like this body did it. Somehow I found some new traits that I could draw out of me. And, um, and I became the thing I needed to do to be successful at the thing. Awesome. And when I think of that, I I'm going to give you three different scenarios here and then have you dig deep more deeply into what you just described. So yeah. competitive golfer who, who shit the bed, just made, you know, two double bogeys. They have to make the cut in a big tournament. Okay. And, and they need to turn it on. And, you know, as a competitive golfer myself, when you start yeah. to fall apart, it can get ugly, you yeah. know, and you can start to be really defined by the, the number on the scorecard. So how to pull it together and actually be able to turn it around and, and access your inner abilities to, to really start to make some birdies or the quarterback who's just thrown two picks, one pick that's been run back for a touchdown. And you got to go back into the game when maybe the offense has taken the ball in your own five yard line or the principal of a school who has received horribly shitty feedback about their own performance and they have to step into the auditorium and face their staff and and face their their staff in a way that acknowledges the feedback and and um and they commit themselves to the to the growth needed to better serve the people that they work for they're all common you know common scenarios but the same you know, you're faced with a hostile, rugged environment that you have to overcome in order to access your inner abilities to thrive and be your best. So given those three examples, like what would you say to a principal or to the golfer or to the quarterback to help them? They can't literally put on the the costume of Dora or, you know, Harry Potter, but what can they, what can they do? So I would actually say the third one is a little bit more of a difficult one because it involves way more social um, issues that are coming up because he's being judged by other people. I mean, the quarterback and the golfer might be being judged as well, but um, they're going to be able to get another chance typically next week. Um, So, but going to those two of the quarterback and the golfer, I laughed when you were unpacking it because I had a conversation with one of my PGA clients yesterday about this very thing um, uh, because he would have shot a 68, but he had a nine on a hole. And, um, and it wasn't because of lack of skill and ability. It was because he was in two sand traps that were basically just hard pan. And, um, what we unpacked from that was actually just one, he needed to develop, uh, a new, uh, set because he hadn't developed the skill set of how to deal with like hard pan, like real hard pan. But um, the strategy to use with them is we should all have a lightsaber in our bag. There should be something that we can go to that is, I call it in the book, you remember when I talk about the ground punch, right? It's this, you know, when the Hulk is getting to the point where he's done fighting in a, you know, fisticuffs way with you, he's going to lay his punch down into the ground and set a shock wave through and just destroy, you know, everything around him. Or, you know, when Wonder Woman, you know, slams her two wrists together and says, basically it's the, it's the no more moment, you know, anyone else can have a slide into the slump or getting the yips or something like that in golf, but not me, not today, not now kind of thing. So um, for, for this particular golfer, it was don't go up to the next tee box and get emotionally engaged and say, screw it. I'm going to just crush this ball. Um, typically it doesn't work that well. Some people rage is an actual motivator for them, but not this particular athlete. There's some athletes where I train them to use rage because it is, and people don't understand that rage, even though people think is a negative emotion is actually a very powerful one for focusing attention. Um, so I've actually got a, a few golfers on the PGA tour that use rage in a way of like doing this. So his is his four iron. That's his lightsaber. 10 times out of 10, he will hit his four iron 240 yards out straight down the middle of the fairway. And that's it. And so he knows that he can go to that lightsaber. It's there. And then that can calm him down in that moment. So just double bogeyed, pull out the four iron. Now it's, do you have the discipline to go to that instead of listening to the ego within and say, I'm going to crush it. Okay. 
So that was his great lesson yesterday to the, to the uh, football player. There has to be an article of clothing, or there has to be something that he can use, whether it's a new routine way that he uh, throws on the chin strap, or it's a, uh, a wristband sweatband that he puts on where it's like, no, this is the anti pick, um, you know, wristband. Like there's something that you can do. There's what we're talking about here is rituals. And so in the world of developing yourself, you're going to hear about habits, you're going to hear about routines and, and stuff, but rituals are a different breed of this because rituals carry with them story and narrative. There's a different quality to them than there is habits and routines. And so what a big part of our work that we do is we help you build rituals that have deep meaning and story and narrative to your story, not my story. Because it doesn't have to resonate with me. It has to resonate with you at the end of the day, because that's who I'm trying to help, mm-hmm. you know, with our programming and, and the coaching that we do. So th- that's those two is actually having something physical that we can use. And again, all we're doing is we're employing what's naturally built into our brain anyway. I'm not inventing anything new. It's already there. And then the third one is um, uh, same thing. He can have something physical when he goes up in front of people, but understanding that um, everyone there is prepared to listen to you justify your performance. Okay. Hear excuses, you know, no humility whatsoever. You own the frame, you own people's psychology when you do something that's unexpected, which is being the one leader who raises his hand and says, We screwed up. Here's where this, here's where we screwed up. Here's here's where I screwed up or um, are in missing the mark. Um, but the vision I have of where we're going is this. So now we create this, here's where we are, but here's where I'm going and here's what I'm going to do differently now. Are you with me? Inviting people into, are you with me to walk across this bridge in a new way? Um, so that's a different you know, method because you got to use words and communicate. Like it's, that's why I'm saying it's a very much more challenging um, situation. But um, you know, for me, I still use my yeah, non-prescription glasses to step into business, Todd, but it's just a part of my ritual. You know, yeah. it's, it's me being very intentional about the role that I'm playing right now, which is an important role in my life. Cause I have ambitions to, to, you know, leave a mark in whatever way I can. Yeah. And to put yourself in the arena. And that's yeah. what Brene Brown says a lot. She's not going to listen to anybody that is not going to put themselves in the arena 100%. in front of everybody, fall down, dust themselves off and speak their truth, you know? Yeah. And, and that's what I really appreciate about your work. And, and, um, you know, I've watched so many of your videos, your YouTube channel, where can people find your, well, obviously so I'm actually YouTube, gearing but- up to actually launch a YouTube channel and it'll go in, in concert with, um, the podcast that I'm going to relaunch. Uh, cause I had a podcast and, um, it got tied up, unfortunately in a lawsuit with a former business partner. So I had to let it go, but, um, you know, the main place where people can find me, and and get updates on the stuff that we'll be putting out is at toddherman.me. Um, so toddherman.me and all the links to like, whether it's the books or the programs that we have for people are all right there as well. Okay, great. And uh, in, in closing, Todd, um, if you were to project forward 10, 15 years, 20 years from now, and really look back on your career, um, of course, you have a lot of wins in your career. You have a lot of things to be grateful for and mm-hmm. a lot of things to be proud of. But if you were to really look back and, and identify something that really stands out as being most important at the core of who you are, uh, what will give you most fulfillment in that moment looking back at your life? Um, any of the projects or activities that we're engaged with right now and going into the future that leave an impact on uh, young people and helping them to develop more mental, emotional agility with how they see themselves. Um, I'm very much involved in different mental health organizations, and there is an epidemic of um, suicide amongst teenagers we're going into an extraordinarily difficult time of knowing how to bifurcate between virtual reality and reality. It's one of the things that parents need to be aware of is helping kids to understand the differences between virtual reality world and reality world. Um, and so, 
you know, even now, like I do have a children's book as well. I've got this little stuffed animal that's behind me. It's my, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a captain storm. So, you know, last year we donated 7,000, my super me books and stuffed animals to children's hospitals, you know, around the world. Um, because to go along with the whole Batman door, the Explorer thing, um, I'm just in the final stages of finalizing a study that we're going to do at uh, NYU around because the uh, thesis is if we can have kids wear capes and so forth when they're going through uh, you know cancer treatments, we can minimize the amount of PTSD and trauma that they would experience from that because of disassociations. You know, so it's Wonder Woman getting the shot in her arm right now, and just that alone can help hopefully protect the the little kid on the inside from going through those experiences. So that's the work that I mean uh, to this day. I mean, I still even though I don't have as much time to work with young athletes, I still mentor five young athletes for free every single year. They've got to write an essay for, you know, why they, why they could work with me. And um, it gets back to that idea of, you know, the moment you remove yourself from the field, from the arena, even though I've got books and I've got, you know, company and, and other things, I still coaching is still my favorite thing in the world to do. Working with someone, uh, we've got group programs as well, but one-on-one nose to nose, toes to toes, Mm. Um, is still my favorite activity in my entire week is, is doing that. So, um, yeah, I mean, just working with young people is still, and, and trying to make an impact there is, is, will, will always be the greatest win for me. Yeah. And what the world needs now more than ever. So, um, yeah, Todd, I want to thank you for your time today and, and, uh, it's been uh, an honor to speak to you. Uh, and meet you in person. You know, I've read the book, I've watched all your yeah. stuff and, and I'm, I'm really uh, moved by your work and inspired by it. And I bring it all with me in the work that I do. So I want to thank you for your time today. Well, I appreciate it, but I'll just, I'll, I'll hit on something you just said. Um, uh, I don't see myself, you know, it's always, I'm a farm kid, you know, there's some modest values that are there maybe, but uh, I don't, I never posture as some sort of guru. And I tell people all the time, listen, like I'm, I'm really, really great at like a couple of things, you know, and the reason I became really great at them was because I chopped wood and carried water every single day. Like I just, if there's like, there's nothing special about it is like just consistency of, I found the thing that I love doing, which is uh, coaching other people. And I have over 19,000 hours, just one-on-one work, not even counting group or speaking on stages around the world. And those are my favorite stats is, is that stuff, but it's, it's nothing really special. It's just, I just chopped the wood every day and carried the water. So yeah, thanks. Done the, I hard, the hard internal work and, and the work with others. So yeah, thank you very much. I'm going to close off the show and then I just want to say goodbye to you. Okay. So you everybody, bet. thank you very much for listening to this episode with Todd Herman. And I hope you come back to listen to future episodes. Andy Vasily.